Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Command Zone. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. This is episode number 39. Welcome everyone to April. I guess we were in April this week too, but uh, Dragon Week is over. Ooh, I miss Dragon Week. (laughs) I miss so much Twitter action. (laughs) Yeah, actually, uh, now that Dragon Week is over, like I have a lot more free time. That was the busiest week of Twitter I think I've had probably ever. That's saying a lot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for me to say that means nothing <laughs> because I have like 400 followers. For a guy with 100,000 followers to say that. Well, it's funny because now I get, by far, I was telling you this, uh, the Command Cast Twitter has like somewhere around 500, 600 followers and I have 100,000, but I get probably 50 times more at replies on Command Cast than I do on my regular Twitter. So People it, are passionate about magic. If you want to figure out, yeah, if you want to figure out the actual percentages of, around like that, that's it's pretty insane. Um, by the way, we're at like 700 and... 50, really? 50, yeah, seven fifty awesome. or somewhere around there. I think now. Let's bring it to a thousand. Come on, people, we can do it. Hey. You know, we we always ask people to follow us on Twitter, and I don't think people understand what that is really for. Right. Um. You know what that does is it helps us leverage, um, that into the prizes that we're giving away and being able to bring guests on and things mm-hmm. like that. You know, Jimmy obviously having a huge following on Twitter has helped us a ton be able to bring in big guests because when you ask somebody to come on your show, <laughs> and they click on your Twitter. And you've got only a couple hundred followers. They're like, why are they going to do that? It's kind of a waste of their time. But if the show looks like a real thing, if the people doing it look like Mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're going to get some exposure because a a guest coming on a show is going to, you know, they they need to get something out of it. Like people just, they're not just going to come on and donate a couple hours of their time if no one's going to hear it. Promotion. Yeah, exactly. And I totally get it, and I'm totally understand that. And and we've managed to get some great um, guests on the show, and and people like Marshall, they took a flyer on us really early. Yeah, thanks, um, Marshall. Appreciate it. Yeah, it, but that's why we ask you anyway. Just mm-hmm. wanted to explain, like, when we say, hey, follow us on Twitter, Twitter, it's not because we our ego needs to, like, have this big <laughs> number. It's actually because it really does help the show. Yeah, uh, and it is very true, and it, it helps us get out stuff to you all, too. That's, like, the main way that we promote the show. It's the main way that we send out when new episodes out, what we, when we have giveaways and all that it's stuff. It's the main way to win stuff. Yeah, trust me. I have plenty of followers. I don't need to boost my ego in any realm for Twitter followers specifically. <laughs> I, I do. I, I mean, I don't have plenty of followers. I do need to boost my ego. So That's you know, true. You so can. if you guys want to send Josh a nice compliment this week for <laughs> or just all a follow of his hard work <laughs> on hashtag Dragon All Week. right. This is getting a little bit. Uh, so before we go into today's <laughs> main topic, which is uh, we're going to go deep today. We're actually going to spend two episodes on this, uh, kind of like what we did last week. We're going to split our show into two episodes over the week, and we're going to really cover in-depth mana bases in EDH. Uh, and this is something that you guys have asked us a lot about. Uh, and so Josh has written up two excellent outlines with a whole lot of information. And so we hope to th- this to be the uh, one of those level up episodes. That It turns out this is pretty complicated. When I got into yeah. it, I was like, is there enough here for two shows? <laughs> is there enough for one show? Oh, man, there's enough for about 10 shows. <laughs> so, But before we get into that, let's talk about... Let's talk about... Dragon, Dragon Week! Week. Rawr. Ah. Rawr. So it was awesome. You guys had an amazing response. We had probably close to a thousand responses. It was crazy. Yeah, it was insane across Reddit and Twitter. Um, I got banned from the Magic TCG subreddit (laughs) because I was doing way too many self-promotional posts. I don't think they realize that I'm not promoting myself. I'm giving away free products. Actually, I guess I am promoting myself. But I'm also giving away free stuff. 
people were loving it like i I don't they shouldn't be banning people who are getting like 70 comments like 70 responses whatever anyway the response from you guys was amazing um we we chose our top seven winners Mm -hmm. at the or each day had a winner so um and if you'll recall each of those people is guaranteed to get three packs of of dragons of tarkir but one person will get 12 and another will get nine. That's pretty sweet. So there's going to be a sort of a first and second place winner, and yep. then everybody else is still going to get something that's on that list. And then we also have one community winner, which we chose uh, sort of like in a raffle from everyone that submitted each day, and you were allowed to enter once officially per day. You could, of course, tweet us as many times as you want. So if you answered seven questions over this, uh, the whole week, then you have seven entries in the big community pot, and we'll randomly choose someone from that. So if you contribute more, you have a better chance of winning, and you get a fat pack. Yeah, the community champion will get a fat pack. So we're going to announce those winners near the end of the show. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned. Yeah. But to recap, here are the top seven uh, from this week of Dragon Week. So our winners were on day one, Darth Rook from Twitter. Day two, Bayana Sam from Reddit. Day three, HD Elaine from Twitter. Days four and five from Reddit, Seeker of Truth and Tuft64. Day six and seven, Twitter users Cole Helgerson and Mr. Emeet4000. Congratulations to everybody. So exciting. I don't know who's going to win yet. We're going to randomly generate the winner um, yeah, we have live on random show. Generator. Well, it'll be recorded, I guess. <laughs> You'll hear me clicking my like trackpad as I hit the <laughs> random number generator. So good luck to you all. And uh, let's just dive into lands and mana bases here. All right. So the suggestion for this episode has, a lot of people have asked about it, but recently one of our listeners, uh, Robert Gillespie, he sent us an email. And Robert runs a really big play group out of Seattle. I think it's around 50 players or something like that. I think the Reverend Infuego uh, plays in that play group. Anyway, I'll read the email or I'll read an excerpt from Rob's email. He said, new players in my play group are starting to grow out of their pre-cons and into deck building butterflies slash mothras. <laughs> a lot of them either put too little or too much land in their decks or feel forced to run green so they can have some insurance against mana screw. Do you guys have any feedback for these budding brewers? What cards do you recommend outside of the usual green options? How many lands do you like to run? Hey, well, first, congrats to everyone that has grown out of the precon. That's like the big first step. Yeah, I mean, Robert, you're doing you're doing the Lord's work. I mean, you're, you've introduced a whole lot of people to the format. Yeah. You've got a really big play group. Hopefully, next time we're up in Seattle, we we're get talking to... about like the Lord Emrakul's work, or uh, yeah, the Lord <laughs> Emrakul's like the well, God. Robert evidently is evil. Yeah, that's right. No, the uh, the Lord Heliod's work. No, shoot, he's evil too. Uh, <laughs> a God's work on the Lord Zenagos's <laughs> work. You're, I'm sure you're reveling, Robert. Yeah, you found a good one. Um, so this is a really like this this subject is really near and dear to me because I love to build five color decks. Yep, and uh, mana bases for five color decks are pretty challenging. Um, you I don't guess just we should put cover every like, color in there and just hope it works. Yeah, I just put even amounts of every color and just say go. Sounds right to me. Yeah. Um, well, first off, we want to talk about what a mana base is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously lands are your mana base, but also mana base includes any cards that produce mana or can produce mana. But it's not just mana producing, it's also fixing. Mm-hmm. So lands that change your mana from one type to the other or give you access to specific types of mana. So, your mana base is pretty complicated in EDH. Right. We're going we're gonna to go pretty deep. You also have ramp, so like cards that would go yep. and search out a land and put it into play tapped. Yeah, or something like Soul Ring. That's right. part of your mana base. Um, so, it really has to do with like how much 
of each color you have available to you in your deck and your chances of drawing any given color. And then also sort of separately but related is total amount of mana mm-hmm. that you are going to have access to. So it covers sort of the length and width of what your mana is. So I would say this stuff kind of can get math intensive. So if you have the ability, I would recommend watching the video on this one, maybe more so even than our other episodes, because it'll be a little easier to follow along. I mean, we're going to try to make it clear for people that are listening in the car or or as they're running. Like I know Magic Man Sam, he's probably listening to us and jogging right now because he (laughs) jogs like 200 miles a week, evidently. That already um, drives 200 miles a week, and he just says, "Are you cheating, does. Sam?" <laughs> I don't think Sam's one of 200 those. 200 miles a week—that's pretty intense. I don't, Sam looks pretty fit. I think he's 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 probably uh, actually running. That's um, pretty sweet. So the the first statement—I mean, obviously, land is going to be the biggest thing, and that's what we're going to cover mostly in this episode. So there's two things to remember about land. Land determines sort of the total number of lands you have. Mm-hmm. That's what determines the consistency of the total amount of mana that you'll draw. So in terms of how many, the percentage you have in the deck shows yeah. you how much you're going to draw in general. Like total. Right. Right. But specifically which lands those are, that will determine the consistency of the color that you draw. Mm-hmm. So total amount of mana is just how much total mana you're going to be able to draw over the course of the game. Specifically what those cards are determines the color density, the color spread. Right. So, obviously, if you only run one color, you're only going to draw that one color. And then you're only worried about how much mana do I want and in what turns do I want them. Yeah. So, let's tackle that first. Um, how many lands do I play? That's sort of the first question that people ask themselves. I still Google this sometimes. I'm like, how many lands in an EDH deck? Just because yeah. I'm always like, do I need 38 or 39 or 37 or 36? And it's always just somewhere in that range. But you never know what's the exact right number. Well, and people want like that answer. Yeah. The answer that's like... The answer is 37. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't really work that way. Um, it also changes it, it de- for every deck, yeah. Yeah, it's determined by your deck. It's determined partially by your curve. Um, the old rule of thumb, really old, antiquated, and some I've seen people that still use this old rule, which mm-hmm. is like a third of your deck should be land, which those types of numbers are easy in EDH. We have 99 cards or basically 100 cards in our deck, so a third is 33 lands. Yeah. But it tends to be way too low. You know, how many decks do you have that run 33 lands? Absolutely none. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Unless their curve stops at like five. Uh, but in general, it in EDH, always, we rarely would yeah, ever do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, what do you run usually? Pro- probably 38. Yeah. Just to be safe because I, I, you know, I have enough lands that also say stuff like cycling on them or mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. that, you know, just have a little extra insurance. But I'd r- much rather have a land than not have a land when I need one. I, I think we've talked about this before, but being uh, mana screwed, as they say, which just means you don't draw enough land to really play the game mm-hmm. in any given game, is a lot worse in EDH than it is in other formats. Because in uh, in standard, if you draw only two lands, the guy's going to kill you, you know, pretty, pretty fast. Quickly, yeah. That's not fun, but it's fast. <laughs> so at least you're not sitting there in misery for a long time. Yeah. In EDH, you can draw only two lands, and you can sit there for an hour while everybody else plays and you are just like discarding cards and barely doing anything. And that's like a lot worse of an experience than in, than the equivalent in a one-on-one uh, format. So in EDH, it is sort of better in some respects just yeah. to have too much land than it is to have too little. You're also the, the cards you're playing are generally going to cost more. It's a really good point. Yeah. Um, the curves in EDH are so much higher. In mm-hmm. fact, I play plenty of decks with 
maybe the soul ring and a sensei's divining top are the only one drops in the entire deck yeah and there's very few two drops and at three i start to have a pretty good density and really most things you know most things start at like five for me i found i mean four is like what would normally be two in other formats yeah. you know like usually in other formats you can't afford to not do anything on turn two in right. edh you can easily afford to not do anything on turn two and start doing stuff on three I in mean, most cases, you'd happily do it if you don't have a good play, unless it's like another mana rock of some sort. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's it, because even if people play stuff, they're not necessarily going to even attack you. Yeah. So you're just not. Not only are you safer because of the forty life, you're also safer just by the nature of multiplayer. So yeah. it, it slows our format down quite a bit. Let's talk. Okay, we're going to get into a little bit of math here. Math um, time. Yep. If you want to hit on average your fourth land drop on time, so you want to be playing a land on turn one, two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. Then the question is, like, how many lands do you need in your deck? So on turn four, you will have looked at 11 cards total. Because you start with seven, mm-hmm. then you will have drawn four. So 11 cards total. Right. So what are the chances that four of those cards have been lands? So four is about 36% of 11. So once again, the math is pretty easy because of the size of our decks are, are 100. <laughs> Very easy. Yeah, actually. so percentage, you know, is easy to convert. And... That means if you need 36% to hit that fourth land drop on time, you know, on average, then you need 36 lands in the deck. Sounds pretty simple to me. Yeah. So if you have 36 lands in your deck, you will, on average, hit that fourth land drop. So That's it, right? We're done. That's it. That's it. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean you'll hit your fifth land drop on time. Yes. So just as an exercise, let's say you want... How many lands do you want? Do you need to play if you want to hit that fifth land drop on time? And so now you will have drawn 12 cards. Right in five turns and you need five of them to be lands so five is 41 about 41.66 percent of 12 so 41 or 42 lands in your deck if you want to be hitting that fifth land drop on time you know most of the time so basically if you want to keep going this up then you go six out of 13 seven out of 14 right and uh, seven out of 14 we know would be 50 percent which half your deck would have to be lands right to hit that seventh land drop on time like to 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 on average do that yeah now actually you don't want that to happen you don't want to have 50 percent of your land be or you like your deck be lands you will hit that seventh land drop statistically like more likely because of it but it's not you know i think i think the four and five is the sweet spot obviously here you start getting diminishing returns because at a certain yeah. point you're drawing lands over cards that you're going to play. And then you have the opposite problem. You know, there's Mana Screw and then there's Mana Flood. Mm-hmm. Flood is a lot pre- preferable to Mana Screw because yeah. Mana Screw can mean you, can o- you can't play any of your cards at all. Yeah. Mana Flood means you get to only play a few cards, but at least you get to play some. Yeah, and in a game where your commander is going to cost more whenever they die, it's not a bad thing to have a few extra You're lands. always going to have yeah. one card now that you can at least play. I mean, in standard, you don't have one single card you've always got that's not a land. Are you sure it's not Siege Rhino? You always should have access <laughs> to It seems like my Rhino. opponents always have that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that's sort of the way that the math works. You're going to have to look at the curve of your deck to determine where you want to be. But I'd mm-hmm. say I usually run 37. Yeah. That's my default. I'll occasionally go to 38 or 39 if my curve's really high, and I will occasionally even go down to 35 if my curve's low. Right. It is also determined by how many other mana-producing things I have. Yeah, I was going to say, deck. one soul ring counts for like a third of a land, I'd say, or even more. Maybe it's so powerful. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into the sort of non-land cards in the next episode, but they do definitely factor in, so that will yeah. be definitely part of it. Let's talk about variance really quick, because I'm going to throw out these percentages, and I'm going to say things like, well, you will, on average hit your fourth land drop on the fourth turn if you play 36 lands, and then you're going to go play a game and go, Josh said that, but I didn't draw my 
fourth land. This was not an average yeah. night at all. Variance <laughs> is just this concept that is used in s- statistics because there's going to be a divergence between yeah. what is statistically probable and what actually happens. Because sometimes you're going to go five games in a row and you're going to hit that land drop every time. Yeah. And then you're going to go three three games in a row where you don't hit that fourth land drop on time. And that's just the way statistical variance works. It's also a really easy and good way if you're just ever in a position where you're not getting the lands or you're like, oh, I was so unlucky this time. It's it's just variance. You know, if you built your deck the right way and if you've shuffled it correctly, then it's statistically anything is possible. So you should never be like, if you've done things right, it should never be a matter of, I just was so unlucky and over and over again because, you know, the next game could be completely different or you could have a run of like eight games that are perfect mana as draws, right. you know, so it's, it's always going to be different. You're just trying to give yourself the most consistency possible yeah. while not throwing away equity on like, I mean, you can give yourself the consistency of drawing a land every turn. But yeah. that's 99 lands in your deck. And it's funny yeah. because this makes you, it kind of makes it sound like, oh, we're being so spiky. We want this consistency and this percentage rate to be the best so that we always hit our stuff on time. But if there's one thing to be spiky about, I think lands is a good thing to be very diligent about because this is what unlocks, it literally unlocks the game. You know, this isn't Hearthstone where you have it access to a set amount of mana each time you yeah have you to, know how much you're gonna have you yeah you don't, have to draw it yeah and i don't i wouldn't consider this spiky as far as it is a little bit min maxing i guess but really like not having mana is just the base floor level of the game that like yeah. you can either play it or you can't and so and i see it all the time is just you know somebody plays an edh check it's like how many land you got in there oh i got 32 <laughs> you know it's a big difference between 32 and 37 or 38 um, yeah, it really is. So that's that's Especially like one or more less mana. Too. Yeah, it's one or more less mana by like the fifth or sixth turn that you're going to have than me. And that's going to be a big difference because if you don't draw it, then mm-hmm. I'm playing five drops and you're playing four drops. Who's going to win that? Yeah. You know, it's and, and it can be just a huge thing that people don't even realize. You know, you can go through years of playing Magic and not realize that that's a problem that you have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so th- the next part of this is sort of determining your color spread. Let's take a monocolored deck, for example. Oh, that'll be pretty easy. Yeah, a monocolored <laughs> deck is going to be very simple. You you don't have to think about it. You, now you're good. You just say, okay, I'm going to play 37 lands because my curve is this, yeah. and I know I'm going to, you know, most of the time I'm going to hit that fourth land drop on time, and I'm just going to put all mountains because I don't have to think about color spread. But as soon as you get above up to two colors, now you sort of have to think about it. Um, there's a resource I'm going to just point out really quick, tappedout.net. Yes, it's where we post all of our deck lists as well. Yeah, they do this awesome thing where... Once you put the deck list in, it gives you these graphs off to the side that tell you the percentage of cards in each color. It says the number of mana symbols per color. It shows your curve. Uh, it also shows a percentage of each card type, which yeah. will not be useful to us here, but They're it is. very useful pie charts, I'll say yeah. that much. So there's something, it's like a percentage philosophy that occurs. And I think most people are familiar with this. So you t- sort of take all the non-land cards in your deck and you look at what colors each of them are and how many mana symbols each of them has in their Mm -hmm. colors, and you sort of make a percentage. So you say, let's say I'm playing a two-color deck. Let's say it's red-green. Good colors. (laughs) It's not quite as good as mono-red. Sorry, That's true. When you said mountains, I I got a little excited. I was like, oh, really? What general are you playing? (laughs) I'm playing Xenagos, God of Revels. Oh, here we go. Um, So it's red and green. And so let's say I lay out all my cards, and I determine that my deck is about 60% green and 40% red as far as, you know, the cards, not the lands or mm-hmm. anything. So that means if I'm playing 37 lands, then I'm going to want to match those percentages pretty closely. So if I'm just going to play basics, that would mean I would want about 22 of my 37 lands to be forests 
and about 15 of my 37 lands to be mountains. And right. that matches up to about 60-40. Very closely, actually, if you just divide the numbers. It's yeah. about 60-40. So now this is going to – this is just a starting point. This is like a general rule about magic. Now – This is like the base for your mana base. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now there's going to be things that change this equation. So let's say your mana curve. Mana curve can do weird things because let's say you've got 60% green and 40% red like we said before, but all of your early stuff is actually red and your big stuff is green. So your three, two, three, four drops, they're in red. Right. And your five, six, seven drops, they're in green. So green is actually predominantly the bigger part of your deck. It's 60% and the red is 40%, but your red needs to come earlier. Yep. In that case, you I would skew my percentages. I might go... 50-50 yeah. with my mana base or 45-55. You know, for, I might bump my red up a little because I know I need red early. Right. And also by the time that you get to that Once I get to seven, game. I'll have had more chances to draw the green yeah. sources. So, yeah, that's a something that will skew your number. Um, so let's talk some more math then. Yeah, let's talk some more math here. So in this case, when you're drawing your seven cards to start the game, uh, typically you're going to want to see a hand that has... Uh, of course, both colors of land in it. But if you need to have your earlier stuff early, then it means that your chances of drawing it, if you have less of the mountains that you need earlier, is just going to get worse and worse. So to have a specific color in your hand when you begin the game, it needs to be a one in seven chance, which is 14%. So Because you draw seven cards. Yeah, you draw seven cards. So, so you one want, in seven needs to be... One in seven be, will yeah. be a forest, let's say. Right. So if you have... Uh, I like how you did this. If you put it another way, if you have 14 or more, if you have 14 the mountains in the deck, that's a 14% chance to draw it, 14 out of 99. And math says, on average, you'll see one in your opening hand. So if you have at least 14 mountains in the deck, you're probably going to see, there's a 14% chance you're going to see one in your opening hand, which is not that good. It's about one in seven. So there's a decent chance you'll see one in your opening hand. Yeah. Now, that's just the bare minimum if you just have any expectation of having red in mm -hmm. your opening hand. If you're below 14 mountains in your deck or 14 red sources then odds say you're not going to see it in your opening hand. Yeah. You know, so... So that would mean you need to look back at the fifth... For instance, so we did 22-15 for mountains, and 15, I, I think, would definitely be too low. So even though it fit percentage-wise earlier when we just looked at the cards laid out, once you sort them by converted mana cost and saw that you needed red earlier, this is when you would go and say, okay, cool, well, now I know that I need to bump this number up and I can safely take the forest down. Exactly. Um, and you guys can do the exact math because you can go, all right, well, the first card I draw is going to be this. And by the fifth turn, how many mountains I'm going to have in the hand, how many forests I'm going to have. And it gets a lot more complicated. But it's I would say also that, you know, math is only going to get you so far. At a certain point, it's going to be art yeah. more than science. You know, you're going to know that, OK, I want at least 14 mountains to have a good chance of having one in mm -hmm. my opening hand. But then when you start getting into the curve, you're going to go, well, I need my red early. So I'm just going to skew those numbers. And you you might have to play that by ear. You might go, yeah. OK. I'm going to push that number, you know, I'm going to take three of my forests and turn them into mountains, and that'll be enough. So that number is going to be hard to determine yeah. mathematically. Um, there's another thing that will <laughs> determine, you know, besides mana curve, there's another thing you might think about when you're building your mana base that might skew those numbers. So again, if you're 60% of one color and 40% of another, you might actually make your mana base 50-50 or, or in, you know, maybe even the other way 60 40 in some mm -hmm. weird weird cases if you have specific cards like there's some stuff out there that has crazy mana costs yeah 
there's uh you want to read this one phyrexian obliterator it costs black 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 so that's four uh mana it's a it's a four drop but it is a prohibitive four drop because four black mana yeah if you're playing if you're playing a deck with three colors there's a very low chance you'll be able to get this out in turn four most of the time just because of you need four black sources um all like the original elder dragons all cost two of three different colors um the i would say anything that has at least four color symbols or more (laughs) on it is going you know is something you need to think about mm-hmm. when you're when you're building your mana curve or yeah. your sorry your mana spread your mana base um that's why it, a card like necropotence or necropotence is also really tough too because it's three black mana symbols yes and and that doesn't mean don't play those cards but if you have a few cards like that and black is one of the colors that has the most of this because yeah black is very um segregated like black doesn't like the other colors that much so they sort of force you to be really devoted to black yeah. in order to play them. That's part of their color pie. And so, but the other colors do have it. And so if I'm looking and I have black and I've got Necropotence and I've got Phyrexian Obliterator and I've got some other cards, my deck may be only 20% black. But if I want to play those cards, I actually have to have more black mana than 20% of my mana Yeah, base. or just ways to produce black mana specifically. Yes. Um so that's just another thing to keep in mind. I think people don't think about that. They just sort of put all their black cards in one in one yeah. pile. They put all their red cards in one pile. They put all their green part, cards in another. And then they just count up the number of cards, and they sort of determine based on that. But it also matters right. how many pips are out there. Yeah, I mean, like, this is very similar to in Limited, for instance. When you look at a card, if you look at a pack, and one card has is, like, two black black, and one card is just one black. Even though the two black black card may be way more powerful, if you take that card, you're really pushing your deck into that direction because it's going to take you a lot more mana base wise to make sure you can play that on time. Yeah, I cons really was a mana base set in a lot of ways, and mm-hmm. I you know I had a lot of success in cons, and I think it was because I've had so much you know experience building really complicated mana bases for EDH that when it came time to play cons and you're playing three, four, five color decks and cons. Kind of felt like EDH. It felt great. Like I was like, oh yeah, I can figure this out. I know exactly. And my mana usually felt good. And I saw a lot of people that stumbled with their mana because cons was complicated, you know, from the mana perspective, from the mana base perspective. And that's just not something everybody's, you know, practiced a lot. And you valued lands much more highly, I think, than the regular drafter. Yeah, Until I, I value lands in every format always <laughs> since beta. Like, I love dual lands from the beginning. I don't know why. I just had this infatuation with, like, I want my lands to be better than your lands. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. You ran five colors in Cons of Tarkir draft as well. So it, it was definitely possible then. And it's, of course, definitely possible in EDH. So That's so nice. this this really brings up our next point, which is that more colors equals more complicated. <laughs> so obviously, monocolor is really easy. You yep. pretty much just need to know how many lands you want to play. I mean, you're going to have some some utility lands in there, but in general... Yeah, I'd say monocolored is more about the utility lands than the yeah. actual lands themselves. And then two-color is a little more complicated, but you can you can run two-color with just all basics. You don't even need a single dual land. Mm-hmm. You know, I would still run some, but you don't have to. And your mana base is probably fine. Once you start getting into three colors, that's where this percentage philosophy can sort of break down. So... You know, once you're in three, four, five colors, let's say you're building a five color deck and you lay out all your cards by color and mm-hmm. you've got only 10% of your cards are white. So only like seven cards or six cards in the whole deck are white. Mm-hmm. Well, if you put 10% of basic of the basic lands in your deck are white, you're only, what's 10% of 37? It's like three and a half cards. So <laughs> let's say you put four planes in. That's the right percentage, right? Because yep. I have 10% of my cards are 
white and 10% of my lands are planes. But the problem is you have a 100-card deck. Variance is going to be so huge there that there's just going to be a lot of games where you don't see a single one of those planes. Yeah. So that percentage... So you're just... If you draw a white card, it might just sit there dead in your hand the whole game, you know? So there's a point at which you really need that percentage to be just a lot higher. Like, even if your deck only has 10% of it as white cards, Mm -hmm. you still need, you know, maybe 10 sources in your deck that are white or eight sources that are white. You know, you can't just be running two or three sources in the whole deck. You'll be screwed. Yeah. You're just never going to see those lands. Once in a while you might, but most of the time, yeah, you won't. So this is where sort of dual lands and tri-lands come in. Yep. If you have a three-color deck, then you should be, like, let's just say it's a nice even 33% split down the middle, but then you just get 12 lands of each type. And we have already talked about how with 14 lands, you don't really have a huge chance of drawing that in your opening hand. 12 lands is even less. So basically, we need to find a way to up the chances of us drawing the colors and also having a nice uh, equal representation of each color that fits the cards in our hands. And that was what leads us to, of course, you guys have probably guessed it, dual and tri-lands. And just... Or any lands that produce more than land. Yeah. Yeah. Like City of Brass would count. City of Brass is just a land that taps for any color mana, but it does one damage to you when it does. So that's that counts as all five sources. Mm -hmm. So when you're counting up your lands, if you've got, you know, twenty forests and sixteen uh mountains and then one city of brass, that city of brass counts as a mountain and a forest when you're doing that sort of percentage breakdown we're talking about. Yeah. So every dual land you add can add to both sides. Right. Or in a three-color deck, you might have Nomad Outpost, which makes white, black, and red. So that's three nice colors. So yeah. that counts as three different, as a, as a source for each of those colors. Yeah. So if you think about the same division game we were doing earlier, instead of going 14 out of 36, now that number goes up to 15, 16, 17. But you right. can actually uh, add up the amount of sources and have more than your actual lands, because each of those dual lands count as two, or trial lands count as three lands, technically. Just in terms of percentages, not in actual card numbers. Right. Your percentage, when you add up the percentage of color spread over all your lands, it's going to add up to more than 100%. Yeah. Because, you know, some lands are being counted twice. And that's fine. The more of that, honestly, the better. Unless yeah. you're running against constant blood moons. Yeah. We'll talk about sort of the downside. I guess we can talk about it now. Um, you know, obviously, tri-lands, dual lands, you know, stuff like City of Brass are really good because mm-hmm. they're going to they're gonna help you be able to play three, four, five, well, not four, three or five color <laughs> decks. Four soon, we hope. Um, Make it happen. But there are downsides. The downsides are Blood Moon and yep. Ruination type effects. Yeah. There's also stuff like Magus of the Moon, just basically stuff that turns off non-basic lands. Yeah, there's some non-basic land hate out there. There's also the fact that a lot of these lands have downsides. Right. You know, the original dual lands, the reason from Alpha Beta, stuff like Badlands, underground sea volcanic island that stuff is worth you know so much money right now because it has no downside other than the blood moon stuff yeah those lands are worth a lot because they are the perfect dual lands every other land since then has some kind of downside or thing that sort of payment you must make in order to make them the land that you want to be so it's either they enter the battlefield tapped where you have to pay for two, like you have to pay two life to get them, etc. So there's or every time of, you tap them for a colored mana, they do a damage to you, mm-hmm. or they give a player a one-one spirit. There's lots of different things that happen. So yeah, so coming into the battlefield tapped is the most common mm-hmm. of these, and I think that in our format, it's not a huge worry, but you do have to think about it. 
you don't want all your lands to come and play tapped. Yeah, that essentially puts you on a one-turn clock behind everyone else. Yeah, you can literally be time-walked because all of your stuff it comes into play tapped. Although, it's not as huge a deal. I think, yeah. you know, given the choice, I would play a bunch of tapped lands and make sure my mana was right. was right. Because I'd rather be able to play my cards a turn late than not play them. Yeah, yeah, So precisely. Yeah, but those are choices that you have to make. Um Let's talk about some just newer, some of the newer lands because people are going to have access to those. Mm-hmm. And and lately, it's been awesome for us. Yeah, let's not let's not mess around. Cons of Tarkir is a dream set for anyone that plays EDH. It really is. It has it's two kinds of lands in it. Three, three fetch lands, try lands, and, and the life, life lands. lands. Yeah, I forgot about the fetch lands. Yeah. Jeez. So they gave us a ton of different lands. In fact, I'd say just with cons by itself, you know you have a good chance of building a decent five-color mana base just mm-hmm. with playing all the fetches, all the tri-lands, and all the uh, yeah. lifelands. You know, that's 20 lands right there. So you oh, add in right. 17 basics, and you can probably have a reasonable five-color mana base with some help from yeah. some outside And if cards. you're playing any of the uh, specific uh, cons then or, you're, or the clans, then you're doing great, too, because you have the perfect tri-lands for those. Exactly. If it's three-color, then, then you've got, you know, all those. Mm-hmm. those not cons. to mention you can, you can run fetch lands that are not the right color in a deck that only matches one of the colors. So, like, a Rugged Highlands does red, red and green, but if you have a mono-red deck, you could technically run that land. It's actually not a bad idea in a three-color deck. Let's say mm-hmm. that you can only get red and green, but you only have green in your deck, but it's three-color. Well, you can go get the Shock Land that matches up with either of your other two colors. Yep. So it's not always incorrect to run a fetch line that can only fetch one of your colors in a three-color deck. Yeah, and it has it, the very minuscule <laughs> effect of thinning your deck out by one card. But yeah, that's I don't so think it matters minimum. at all in our format. Yeah. It, even in standard, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, thinning exactly, thing. and they're running with 60-card decks. Yeah. So. This is, there's also the temples from mm-hmm. um, Theros Block. Which are the Scrylands. And those are great, by the way. Let's Very not good. look down on Scrylands. If, if I'm going to come into play tapped, I'd much rather Scry than do anything else, I think. Yeah, exactly. It's it's better than the Lifelands, I'd say. You oh, know, yeah. Gaining one life is minimal, but being able to look at the top card of your library. It might be that I kept an opening hand with only two lands, but both of them are Scrylands. And you can do that because you can scry away the top card of your library if it's not yeah. a land and sort of look at at least the top four cards of your deck rather than the top two, mm-hmm. give you a better chance of drawing another land. So... The Scrylands are great. And then there was the Guild Gates from Ravnica, which were really recent. Yep. And those those are the worst of what we've talked about so far because they have no upside. They only come into play tapped. Well, and the upsides, they give you two colors. Exactly. And totally fine. Yeah. Totally fine. Uh, you know, it's not ideal. But again, like I can't afford to put a Volcanic Island in every one of my decks. You know, I have a few from the old days, but I, I just yeah. can't. So having a, is it Guild Gate? Not no, so bad. Yeah, it's it's eighty percent as good. It comes into play tapped, so I can't use it that same turn. But it's not, you know, it's not ten percent as good as Volcanic Island. Yeah. After that first turn, it's the exact same. Yeah, as a hundred and thirty dollar card. Yep. So, and it unlocks, like, sure, it comes into play tapped, and you may be slightly behind, but it also unlocks like eighty percent of your deck because without that extra color, you know, you would be boned otherwise. Yeah, you, you know? couldn't cast yourself. So yeah. and then the Shocklands also were in Ravnica and they're mm-hmm. just awesome. Especially they're even better in EDH than they are in the other formats. Yeah, I'd say Shocklands are the the premier lands for our format because fetch lands grab them. Yeah, and they do exactly what dual lands do at the cost of two life because they come into play tapped unless you pay two life. Mm-hmm. And so again, a Volcanic Island costs one hundred and thirty dollars, but a Steam Vents costs ten dollars. Yeah, 
and it and only costs life you two life during the game. Is <laughs> is two life during the game worth a hundred dollars to you? It might be. To well, me, when it you're is. running like Sarah Ascendant, I don't think the two life is that significant. Yeah, you've got forty life, so it's actually doing half as much damage to you as it would in yeah. a normal game. We've talked about this a lot yeah. too. Like forty life is really a resource that you should be using, and Shocklands is it's pretty much the best deal you can get because for one. Like they'll say mountain planes on them. So if you go use a fetch land to look up a mountain, you can grab that and a fetch land all of a sudden becomes a dual land. Yep. And that is really, really powerful. And I think it's something that people overlook on the first building mana bases. So I'm going to another good resource for this, because one of the frustrating things about building a mana base is over the years, they haven't named this stuff in a way that's really easy to find. Like, it's hard to go on to Gatherer and just look up all the lands that produce the mana of your color, right? Yeah, it is a little What do you type in to do that? So there's a website called manabasecrafter.com. Is it a Minecraft website? Sounds like a Minecraft (laughs) website. (laughs) No, it is not related to Minecraft. Um, So you go to manabasecrafter.com, and actually at the top, you pick your general, and they have, I think they have all the legendary creatures, or they have most of them in there. And then it will show you all the lands that tap for the colors of your general. Yeah, and all the lands that fetch two of your colors or fetch each of your colors. And every time I go through, I'm like, wow, I had no idea that half these lands existed. There's been so many lands over the course of time, and some of them are named weird. They're like a crone refuge, and they're like, why would I ever look up a crone refuge? But it produces these two colors, and I do need it for my deck. I just never would have known it exists. Mm-hmm. So the refuge lands are another thing to go. They're exactly the same as the life lands from cons. Yeah. Uh, and they're very cheap, and they're just another thing to go on. And, like, I, I don't know, a couple months ago, I just went on and bought, and bought like, 10 of each. Because yeah. I'm just like, I'm, I always need these. Yeah. I bought 10 of each guild gate, and I spent a total of like $20 on all that stuff. And now my mana base is just like, I can always fill it in with a guild gate or mm-hmm. a refuge land or a life land from cons. Yeah. And you there's know. also stuff like check lands that are like, if you have a mountain or plains yep. and this comes in untapped, or if you only have two or less lands and this comes into play tap, like the fast lands and half the time they may be, uh, you know, like a, a, a guild gate in terms of coming in tapped, but the other half, they are as good as that volcanic island. You I know? think people overreact to it. They think like, oh, the fast lands, you know, they're like, they think they're like 20% as good as a, but half the time they're not. Half yeah. the time they're a dual land. At their worst, they're still 80% as good, like we said. Like they do what they need to do. It may take you one turn and it, to untap with it, but I'd much rather have that than a basic if I needed both colors. Um. So the goal, once you have all your dual lands and your tri-lands, is you really want to be above that percentage we talked about earlier. So mm-hmm. if you're 60-40 red-green, if you had, instead, if, if all 37 of your lands were produced red and green, now you're 100% in each category. Yep. Right? 100% of your lands in terms tap of for each. Now, you might not always want to do that because of things like Blood Moon and Ruination or whatever, but it would make your deck super consistent. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to do that in all colors. You know, I play five-color uh decks where i literally have 20 sources of each color that doesn't make sense because you should that should take you 100 cards right but because of trilands because of cities of brass and mana confluences and things that produce like two three four five different color mana you can you can make it work and you can really make your mana base strong and you know keeping track of what your color spread among your cards are will tell you you know how you want those sources to be laid out yeah and I would really encourage this. When you guys are building decks, put your cards out. Put them on the table. Look at them. Sort them in different ways. The nice thing about uh, Modo, one of the few nice things about Modo, is that you can right-click and sort cards by converted mana cost yes. and by color and stuff. And you can see how they line up. And you, that's can, why, you can simulate that exact effect by just going on tappedout.net. Yeah. 
and putting your deck in there. Yeah, and it's also good to like when people are trying to make cuts and stuff. You know, it's really good to look at what your your deck looks like from beginning to end, and say like, wow, this is actually really heavy on the top end and not really heavy on the uh, lo- lower end when I need more mana for this or that. So it's like a really good way to also just see like, okay, I need my mana base to do this, and it's also prohibiting me from doing this because I have so many like nine drops or whatever. So you can like really. I, I think tuning your deck is is probably the most important thing when you're starting to put lands and stuff. Because like when you start putting lands in and looking at what you're trying to do, you'll automatically start tuning it correctly and, and putting the right colors of lands in and stuff and also just making sure you're not going to get screwed. It's That's actually super good advice. It's, you know, it, usually we tune our mana to our deck, but yeah. sometimes it's right to tune your deck to your mana. And not and failing to do both is probably you're you're giving away a little bit of, uh, of value there. Yeah. A lot of value, I'd say. You're just, I mean, like, you don't want to play 10 games of EDH and have five of them just kind of be mediocre because your deck was too ambitious for the mana you had available or your mana was not, you know, or too much for whatever. So make sure there's a good balance there. Okay, let's talk about some common mistakes people make with the lands from their mana base. This is the most important part. This, I think. this is the this is the very most common for sure. I see it a lot. Yeah, Uh, we we all do. It's just too few lands. Yep. Don't do it. Don't put in 32 lands just because you want to put all those extra sweet cards in. Um, trust me, those cards aren't going to miss being played. You might miss playing them, but you also would not have played them if you put too many, too few lands in. It's just way better to err on the side of too many lands than too few. Yeah. It really is. So if you're not sure, just add in a few more lands. Because if you have too few, again, you can play nothing. Mm-hmm. If you have too many lands, well, you're just playing less cards because you know a couple of those lands you drew could have been spells. But yeah. But you rarely will have a game where you just draw 12 lands and zero cards. Yeah. You might have a game where you draw, you know, 12 cards total and eight of them are lands. But at least you still got to play four cards. If in the inverse, you played zero cards and you're just discarding them and that sucks. I always find, too, that even though, like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm going off the top of my deck and I'm like, crap, another land. But, like, by the time I'm up to, like, eight lands or nine lands, it's like, well, now a lot more cards are a lot live now. Anything like, I draw. Insurrection is yeah. completely live, whereas earlier it may not have been. So I'm not actually that unhappy about drawing lands because it's also like, okay, cool, now I can pay my commander tax and put them out one more time or whatever. Um, the next big common mistake, not giving it enough thought. So obviously we've been going deep on the lands here, and, and we think about it a lot. Yeah. I think... You know, people will spend a whole bunch of time on the deck portion, the card portion, you know, the spells and the creatures. What's well, the fun part, right? Yeah, it's the sexy part, right? It's the part that's exciting. You know, you don't usually think like, man, I can't wait to draw my shock land <laughs> on turn four and put it into play. Ooh. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. You usually think, oh, man, if Someone I get light my... a candle. Yeah. <laughs> you go, oh, man, if I get Kiki Jiki out and then I copy this guy, that's yeah. going to be awesome. And so you sit there and you agonize, you know, you, you've picked all these cards for your deck and you've narrowed it down and you're down to like 72 cards and you got to cut five or six cards and you're just agonizing over those last six or seven cards and yeah. then you do that and then you build your mana base in five minutes and you don't agonize about any of it and that's just if you're not thinking about your mana base then your deck is not properly efficient yeah. or tuned it's kind of yeah. like going to the gym right like sometimes you just don't want to be there you don't want to be lifting the weights but like the gains you get from putting time in to what may feel like it's unfun creates more fun in the long run so I think also like the math is daunting and we went into a lot of the math. You don't have to go that far into it if you don't want to. Yeah. You know, even just laying out your cards and going, well, the deck has mostly blue. The second most is white. And the I just have a little bit of red. Even just taking that step and looking at it yeah. and then laying out your mana next to it, you know, that can help you 
you know, win more games in the long run and achieve more consistency. Even if you're not just going like, well, 15 divided by 37 is blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you don't have to go that deep. You can still sort of dip your toe in the water, at least pay attention to it is all I'm saying. Yeah. And it's really, it really isn't that hard to give it a little bit of thought. Um, I mean, even just when I build a deck going through and finding like, oh, this land works, this land works. And even though I don't, I may not play all of them, just being like, you know, you, you should have plenty of these lands over time. And if not, they're really not expensive, so don't let that be a barrier for entry. Like, you sure, you don't need to buy all the shock lands or any of the original duels, but all these, like, fast lands or the check lands, all these lands are pretty affordable comparatively, and they really do, you know, like, you, you I mean, when you get cards in the mail or something, you're not looking forward to being like, cool, I got my Kazandu Refuge here, <laughs> as opposed to, like, here's my Phyrexian Obliterator foil. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just know that it's an important part, and not giving it thought is not, it's, it's sort of like you're shooting yourself in the foot. Don't do it. Uh, the third mistake that I see a lot is that I'm going to say all my fixing is based on green. So this can happen a lot, and I've seen it where people, they put green in their deck, and they put all this rampant fixing in it, and mm-hmm. then they forget that, well, that means you need more green man- land <laughs> sources in your deck because if green turns your deck on yeah. from a mana perspective then you need to heavily weight your lands towards green. Just so you can play those early ramp cards fast. Yes. So if your deck sort of requires a certain color to quote-unquote turn on, then you need to make sure to overcorrect for that in your in your land base, in your mana base. Yeah. Um, so it's similar to curve. It's similar to, like, you know, putting in crazy weird cards. like. And most of those ramp cards, too, are going to be under five mana. That's sort of the purpose of them. It's because they're originally built for standard and modern and not So you need, you need so them early. You need them early. You need them fast, yeah. Early, yeah. The next one is... This happens all the time, too. I tuned my deck a few times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I swapped out two or three cards here, new two set or three came there. In, new set suit, came in. Yeah. You know, so over the course of six weeks, a couple of months, I maybe changed out 10, 11, 12 cards. Mm-hmm. How often when you do that do you ever go back and change your mana base? I rarely do it. Yeah. And that's <laughs> Just one because of the... that's not what you're trying to do. It's not the f- It doesn't feel fun. It's like, wait, I have to go do this part again? It does feel <laughs> a little bit like work, but that you can easily have sort of your balance of your deck can change a lot by yeah. changing 12 cards. You just changed, you know, what is that? 20% of the, of the cards that aren't land in your deck. Right. And so you don't think that's going to affect how your color spread is, what your mana needs to look like now. So there's a chance that it doesn't affect that, but there's a much better chance that it that does. It does yeah. right. And so when you're tuning your deck, don't be afraid to be like, Oh cool. Look, I just put in this three drop that is white black black so i'm gonna need a little more black now and you can go through your land and be like maybe i don't need this planes maybe i'll swap this out with one swamp Mm -hmm. so tune the mana at the same time it's really not that difficult what i like to do is i like to keep track of what cards i'm adding and what i'm taking out Mm -hmm. and then because if i just put in two cards i'm not going to read that's right you're taking stuff out too Yeah. yeah so i'm taking out these two cards and i'm putting in these two and if the colors are basically the same like i would take out a green card and put in a green card I'm probably not going to even worry about it. But yeah. if I take in a green card and put in a white card, and I take out a black card and put in a blue card, I have to keep track of that. And so if I tune it two or three more times with two or three more cards, mm-hmm. and I see a similar you know, thing going on where I'm taking out certain colors and putting in others, then I need to make sure my balance is right. And I just have to yeah. keep track of it. So I know like, oh, I got to take out a couple of lands that do this and put in more lands that make blue. And tapped out again is an excellent resource for this because you can even click. I didn't realize this, but you can actually click on the color pie and it'll yep. show you what cards in the deck are those colors. Yeah, but it'll highlight colors. them on the on the yeah, which is yeah. really cool. And what and also what cards will produce that mana, which is always neato. 
And then there's one more common mistake. I mean, that we'll talk about. There's a lot of mistakes people make, and I make them too. So <laughs> yeah, we all make them. Yeah. So don't feel bad. Um, it's just not adapting to your meta. Yeah. So we talked about Blood Moon and Ruination before. Um, there's things like you know some metas have a lot of land destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if everybody plays Strip Mine in your meta, then that's going to affect your mana base. You just need to know like what you're usually running into, and if you're running into Blood Moon all the time then you can't put so many dual and tri-lands and brass, uh, cities of brass and fetch yeah. lands and stuff in there. You need to be more basic land-based, and you need your deck to work from that level. And, you know, I think the best way in a meta that's really heavy with those type of effects is to actually build your deck. You know, you, pro- you maybe can't even play a five-color deck in that meta. Yeah. You know? And that's fine because what will happen is if you build your deck that's two color... That's not fine, Josh. You would, you would hate that. I, I, I would hate that, but at the same time, what I would do is I would build good two and three color decks right with basic lands and then they'll stop playing their blood moon because their blood moon won't do anything yeah and then i that'll allow me to play my five color decks when they start taking their blood moons out of their deck definitely so yeah all right adapt 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 i think that's going to wrap up our land destruct uh, land destruction no <laughs> our land discussion uh, about mana bases now next we'll talk about land destruction someday <laughs> not this episode though you're just going to talk about how much you hate it? Yeah, pretty much. You know what it does? It runs the feel bads, Josh. Oh, man. Let's ban it. Uh, let's let's ban not get it. In. I don't even want to. <laughs> <laughs> let's not. On, on Thursday, we're going to get into sort of the cards in your deck that are part of your mana base but aren't land. Yes. So and we, this is I just as, if not more important than lands. It's really, <laughs> this is a huge part of, of your mana base in, in uh, EDH. So Yeah, and I think... Uh, again, people don't think about that enough. They don't tie them together. They don't equate them in the way yeah. that, like, they don't consider what their non-land cards are is part of, like, their equation for what their mana base is, and, yeah. they, sh- and they really should. So, um, all right, I'm excited. That's right. It's time to announce. It's time for Dragon Week winners! 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 winners, winners. That's the roar of the crowd. That's not a dragon breathing fire. Yeah, that's the uh, applause. Wouldn't be an episode of the Command Zone if we didn't do on stage. awesome sound effects. <laughs> a bra got thrown on stage? Yeah, we are going all out for I these dragons. I didn't know dragons. you wore bras, Jimmy. Yeah, you know, sometimes I need the extra support. <laughs> uh, so we're going to uh, first announce the community winner. Uh, and the community winner, again, wins a fat pack. And this is everyone that entered every single day. You get another entry. So the more times you participated in Dragon Week, the better chance you have winning. Yeah, and it's not tied to the top seven. So yes. anybody can win. In fact, the people that are already on the top seven are not eligible because you're already getting something. So Yeah, exactly. Sorry, yeah. dudes. So, um, so, um, yeah, we also want to, of course... We always want to make sure that everyone is able to win. That's really yeah. important to us because we don't want to show favoritism. We don't want to show like, oh, just because you have Twitter and this, like you get to do this. Like everyone gets a chance. And so yeah, the and thank you winner, to the people that emailed us um, yes. answers to the questions. You're also um, in here, so you have a chance to win. So everybody pay attention because we're going to pick a community winner. That's right. I have a giant spreadsheet. I've gone through and typed every person's name out for every single He's day. totally lying. No, I look at it right here, and I'm going to – it's my giant Oh, my Reddit God, you do. Yeah, and then that's how I was going to randomly do it. I, Holy crap. Josh, I shared this with you on Google Docs, and you I never accepted it because you still use Hotmail. I didn't so. click on it. Well, <laughs> Welcome to 1999. Josh, how is Hotmail these days? I just got called out, everybody. Did you just get, got you, called out. Did you just get a CD in the I mail for AOL, out. or uh, how's your internet going? All right, so I'm going to uh, put this into the random number generator that randomly choose one. That was not him doing the That was not him doing the 
let's see we have about a thousand <laughs> entries so wow. it's going to choose a random number and i'm going to scroll down and find that person's name and let's hit it okay drum roll please and the winner is, is it is uh, on twitter it is at o'malley underscore mike mike o'malley you congrats you congratulations. are congratulations winner you're let's, the winner of a let's go to your twitter clear fat pack yeah let's look at some of the answers you gave so okay. thank you so much by the way o'malley uh go ahead and send us a tweet no i'm no, not a tweet sorry send us an email at commandcast at rocketjump.com with your mailing address uh and uh, proof of insurance just kidding and we will get your fat pack to you in the mail. So congrats. Do you want to read some highlights from uh, Mike's uh, entries? Let's see. Dragonlord Dramoka provided you can give it hexproof. Shutting down enemy players from playing spells on your turn is a plus. Nice. I nice. do agree with that. I agree. Oh, he likes the new set, evidently. Because out of the newest dragons, I'd say Savage Ventma, just for the free six mana when he swings. Hashtag Dragon Week. Oh, yes. All those nice hashtags. By the way, we are also going to be announcing, and you'll see this on Twitter, uh, anyone that used the hashtag Dragon Week for every single day, we're also giving away uh, just a pack to a random person there. So we'll announce that on Twitter, and you'll see all that stuff there. So Always congrats, chance Mike. to win stuff. Congrats, you Mike. You are our community winner. Thank you for participating in the community. And, of course, thank everyone else for submitting answers. Uh, we're going to be doing lots more giveaways in the future. Maybe when we hit 1,000 followers on Twitter, we'll do something special. All but right. uh, congrats to Mike. All right, let's move on to the top Seven. So we announced who the top seven were at the beginning of the episode, and now we're going to uh, roll a random seven-sided number generator. So we're gonna pick. Uh, we're gonna <laughs> I'm pick actually s- not rolling it. I'm clicking on my trackpad to get a random number here. <laughs> so one and seven. the second place will get nine packs. The first place will get twelve, and then everybody else gets three. We're only gonna announce the second and the first place Correct. here. So you guys are all winners. Thank you so much. All right. So let's go ahead and trackpad up the one and seven random number generator and. Our second place winner for nine packs of Dragons of Tarkir is Darth Rook. Congratulations, uh, congratulations. buddy. This guy's name is Jason, I think, right? I, I think I remember him on Twitter. Oh, yeah. So you are on Twitter. Congrats, Darth. You did a great job. Uh, Jason Garner, is that right? Jason Garner, that's right. Congrats, Jason. Jason, yes. I don't know what exactly you entered for to win on that day, but it must have been good because you are our second-place community winner. So, again, email us your mailing address, and now let's go for the biggest prize of them all. For 12, 12 packs. packs. Let's roll the dice slash press the button on the computer, and the winner of Dragon Week's Top 7 is randomly going to be HD Elaine. HD Elaine. Congratulations, buddy. Congratulations, Get the sleeve. Uh, Hugo. Hugo. Hugo, yes. Congratulations. You get 12 packs. Again, email us your mailing address at uh, commandcast at rocketjump.com. Oh, would you look at that? He actually tweeted a picture of Frex and Obliterator recently. He knew we were going to be talking about it? I have no idea. It's impressive. So, yeah, very impressive. Um, so congratulations, HD Elaine. It looks like you're also a, 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 a listener to LR and CR and Brainstorm Brewery, according to your Twitter. Now I'm just stalking you. I listen to all of those shows, too. So Yeah, definitely. Good on you. Good on you. Good on you. Good on you. So congratulations, everyone. Everyone else in the top seven, you guys get three packs of Dragons of Tarkir, which is pretty awesome. So just send us your mailing address. We also, uh, I buy a lot of foils whenever a set comes out because I like just buying my favorite cards. And I have a bunch of extra rares and really cool looking foils. And every one of you guys is going to get a foil or a rare of some kind. Uh, from Dragons of Tarkir, Fate Reforged, or Cons of Tarkir. So you guys all get sweet extra bonus prizes as well. So Jimmy, congrats. You're the best. 
hey, you know, I try to give away what I can. And, of course, <laughs> Wizards has been very gracious in helping us out with these giveaways as well. Um, and Except not this one. Not, not this one. They are going to give us some stuff. We were just wanted to do this right when the, the set came out. Yeah. So this is out of Jimmy in my own pocket. Yes, mostly Josh's pocket. Because we love so. you guys. Thank you, Uncle Josh. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, let's move on to the end step. Uh, so uh, today we're going to do one thing on the end step, and uh, on Thursday's episode we'll do another thing. So what thing is it for you today, Josh? Well, I have a cool thing. Most yeah. of you have probably heard of it, but I'm very excited about the new season of Game of Thrones. Dun, 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 dun. It comes out tomorrow. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. I'm April so excited. 8th. So that is tomorrow because today is the 7th that this episode comes out. There's, that is. There's probably like three people out there that haven't watched it, but you three people, <laughs> you need to watch it. The show is awesome. The, the show is awesome. The books are really good. Well, most of them are really good. Couple starts of them are strong. Yeah, it starts off really good. <laughs> I hope it'll end really good. But the show, the show is really is great. It's on HBO. If you don't yeah. know, then you've been living in a cave. So, and honestly, you don't need to read the books to like the show. You Not don't need all. to like the show to read the books um, because the show, in my opinion, has done a much better job of just condensing a lot of George yes. R. R. Martin's. Uh, he can be very uh, flowery with his wording and <laughs> extensive political. with his chapters uh, and whimsical with his organization of plot and characters. <laughs> so the show corrects a lot of issues that I have with the books. And it is really it's like the best HBO show that's ever been made straight up. Whoa. Whoa. I Come mean, on. Sopranos. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, it's been the a fantasy lot. The realm. Wire. Okay, but- you know what? I completely disagree with myself. The Wire <laughs> is the best show HBO has ever made. But. Game of Thrones is one of the best. Yes, and it's the best fantasy show by far. For sure, for yeah. sure. Check it out. Uh, they're all going, yeah, we've checked it out. Yeah, Everyone know, in the right? world has checked it it's out. It's like, yeah, you guys did Dragon Week? Guess what? Daenerys, she's my oh, she's yeah. my homie. So if you guys like dragons, you're also going to like the show. If you like, Pretty much if you like Magic the Gathering, you're going to like Game oh, yeah. of Thrones. I was There's really so spot on with Dragon Week. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Wow, we timed it right up. That was like... It was like serendipitous. Very nice. All I'm right, really let's sure go to the cleanup mean. phase. How many cards do you have in your hand? Um, I have zero. Oh, well, you don't have to discard I'm top decking. I, uh, I didn't fix my mana base, so I have nine cards in my hand. <laughs> you have to discard. I have I'm to sorry. discard. Yeah, I even played a, a card draw card, and it didn't help me out, so I have to discard two. Uh- <laughs> All right, guys. Remember to tell your friends about the show. Follow us on Twitter. Um, oh, one last thing. Our buddies at the Yay. Masters of Modern Podcast, Alex and Ben, they do a really good job over there. Um, if you're interested in competitive magic, not just modern, but if you're interested in modern, definitely you should go check them out. You can follow them on Twitter at the MMCast, mm-hmm. and you can also find their shows on rocketjump.com. They do a really good job. Um, they have some great guests, too, that are coming Oh, they've in. had some awesome guests lately. They yeah, had Tom LaPel's coming in as well for yeah, them. Yeah, they so. had Matt Sperling. They had Travis Wu. They've mm-hmm. had some big-time uh, guests and and uh, the playgroup they play in here in LA, uh, two of those guys in that playgroup have recently won GPs and, and they're, they're going playing to the on pro the pro tour. tour. Yeah, so they're, they're burning it up. Yeah, they're they're very into the competitive scene and they're they're very smart and they know what they're talking about. So definitely check them out. And they have street cred, which is they got cred. They got cred for reals. All right, so that does it for today's episode. Remember to check in on Thursday because we'll be doing another uh, top. Uh, we're basically talking about man bases again, but from another angle, and we're going to cover it more in depth. So this is the one of two, and hope you guys listen to the next one. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. All right. See you later. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. 
See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>